0: Welcome to the Approachable Equestrian Podcast, a place where we dive deep into all things mindset, motivation, and stories that inspire. I am your host, Rihanna Burke, fellow equestrian, writer, and competitor, and I am determined to shine a light on all things inclusive in the equestrian community. With that said, let's jump in to today's episode. Today, I had the privilege of speaking with the amazing Jade Finlay. She is a five-star eventer who is just full of inspiration. If you have been lacking motivation lately or lacking excitement in your writing, this is the episode for you. It doesn't matter what discipline that you are, Jade is just so amazing, so beautiful and so humble. And she just brings so much excitement and so much knowledge and so much information for you all today. If you love this episode, make sure you share it on your Instagram stories and tag me in it at The Approachable Equestrian and I will share it. Get ready everyone for this amazing episode. I'm so excited to share it with you all
1: today make it worth it, make it count. Don't be doing it half-assed, making excuses because then you are being selfish, you know, if you're not doing it with your whole heart.
0: Thank you so much for coming on the show. Like I'm so honored to have you here. I'm
1: really it. Oh no, don't be silly. It's lovely that you asked. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's okay.
0: So for anyone listening, tell us a bit about yourself. How did you get involved with horses? What started you on this crazy journey that we do with horses?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I grew up in the city and I I certainly wasn't involved in horses at all during school. Uh, I would have loved to be, but mum sort of said where we lived, she said no way was she going to be that horse mum driving me around. So she promised me that when I left school, if I still wanted to be involved in horses, she would buy me a horse and a float. And they weren't fancy horses or floats. It was one horse, one float. And she bought it for me. And uh, amazingly, this horse, Stuart um, Tinney helped me find uh, because I was working for him at the time. And it ended up being my first four-star horse, which was pretty cool. So within two years of starting ever riding any sort of idea of doing anything, I had a, a horse going around four stars so I don't think I would recommend anyone to do that now it sounds insane I know Um, (laughs) but at the time I just did it and there weren't weren't sort of qualifications you needed to meet back then and you could fall off and get back on and you know it was all all a little bit wild but it was fantastic I mean I, I didn't have a horse as good as that for another probably five years so I was very lucky with the first horse I had and was very lucky with the way that I started the sport, I think most people have probably heard that I obviously didn't start with horses at all until I left school. And when I left school, I went overseas. And I think Chris Bartle is now a name that most people know because he is probably the world's greatest coach. Chris has coached Germany to multiple, multiple medals in both Olympics and world championships and has now gone back to his home country of Great Britain to take on the coaching role of the eventing team. And since he took that on, they're unbeatable. So, and Germany seems to have fallen down. He is a phenomenal coach. I'm not quite sure what he does, but he is exceptional. And I happened to go to England for a year after school and I trained with Chris Bartle. So I think I was incredibly lucky in my start, which you know is something that I think is really important for people to realize is that even though I started really late, I had the coach of Chris Bartle and then came back to Australia and was coached by Stuart Tinney. So I didn't have a lot of time to develop too many terrible habits because I was learning as I was going with the two best coaches I could ever imagine. So wow. that's sort of how I started into the sport, which is, um, you know, a little bit crazy. You, you wouldn't imagine it now at all anybody starting, eventing, and two years later riding four-star. It seems totally insane but I did have the best coaches and I did work very, very hard at it. I was one of those not supernatural riders because I hadn't really done it. I didn't learn as a kid how to ride off feel. So I was riding off intellect more than feel because that's how you learn as an adult. And I was, you know, 20 years old, but I was very lucky in the fact that anything I got told was probably the best things I could get told from those two coaches. So that's how I started really.
0: See, that's where yeah, I'm was struggling ridiculous. with my journey is because I'm trying just to unlearn everything that I ever learned
1: before that was wrong. That is that is part of the hardest part is uh, of horse riding is breaking habits and letting your brain actually let go and stop trying to control everything and micromanaging it. So that is a problem with learning as an adult. As, as I know, Rianne, you have sort of got more serious about it as an adult as well. And I know that, you know it is a mental struggle when you're learning like that because you're taking in the information and then overthinking it rather than just riding with feel yeah. so it is it's a really common problem when you you learn a little bit older in life but it's you know everyone that started as a kid yes you develop bad habits sure but you certainly develop your balance and your your instinct a lot better than somebody that's that's learning as an adult so it kind of works yeah. both ways I guess
0: yeah one hand it's it's such a privilege and such a leg up if you start younger and things like that but oh my gosh that is insane that you literally two years who does that yeah oh no don't worry
1: I fell off a lot I was, <laughs> was pretty terrible and I fell off a lot in those first few years I, I remember there was a a time when I think I'd done my first ever start um, ever and I went what they call now one star. So it was pink numbers. That was the first event I ever did. And that was the level I I went into the sport at because it wasn't really lower levels than that. When I started, that's just sort of where you started. It's making me sound really old. I know, but that's (laughs) that's how it was. So I went out and I went cross country and I literally fell off twice into the water jump. Fell off twice. My horse came down to the water and he was it. He'd jumped metre 10 show jumping before and that's all he'd ever done. So he'd never really seen many water jumps and, well, probably not really many at all. And I cantered down the hill and it was at Canberra one day event and he stopped at the house going into the water. So I fell off and then I got back on because you could back in the day and then I cantered round and I was really determined and I jumped the house but then there was water on the other side and then he stopped at the water and I fell off again. And then I got back on and I kept going around the competition. And I remember um, at the time I went up to where Stuart was because I was working for Stuart and and he was walking the, four, the equivalent, which was the three star then, but the equivalent of the four star show jumping along with the likes of Nikki Richardson and Shane and, and Sam Lyle and Jendy Turner. And I went running up and I was still soaking wet from falling off into the water. And Stuart said, How did you go? And I was like, oh, my God, that was the best thing I've ever done in my life. It was so much fun. I absolutely love this sport. And he just looked at me and everyone looked at me and they all just started laughing. And I was like, what? It was so amazing. And they said, why are you wet? <laughs> and I said, oh, I fell off twice. I fell off twice. And it's <laughs> That's quite, normal. so cool. I loved it. And so they just thought that was hysterical, but that was sort of my introduction to the sport. So it's certainly changed a lot now you know we're so um, concerned with safety measures as we should be but you know it's definitely evolved a lot from the days when you could do that so oh
0: gosh so where did okay where did you go after that what's the rest of the journey look like until now
1: well I just literally I was a, I was a really hard worker as far as my writing career went I was doing uni as well so I did journalism at, at university so I was at uni and then working for. So after I came back from England where I trained with Chris Bartle, then worked for Stuart uh, during the day and I went to uni at night. So I did that for about three years and then I left Stewart's. So I still always trained with Stuart, but I left his to sort of do my own thing as you kind of do, just try and find your feet. I had that good horse and then I had a couple of pretty ordinary horses and tried to do it on my own and rode race horses then for four years as well in the mornings wow. and competed and. Like I say, when I – um again, learning is is such a great thing. I mean, I'm now – I would honestly say without it sounding, you know, in any way like I'm being patronising or that I'm being egotistical, I'm very, very good at managing my horse's soundness now. That's something that I'm very strong at. And I think I learnt very quickly because that first horse – uh, ended up doing two tendons just because I didn't really know what I was doing and didn't really know how to manage a, an event horse at that level because he was sort of four-star then. He came back from both tendons and, and did quite a bit afterwards, but I certainly um, was very bad, as, as I think most people are, at managing an event horse until I just kept doing it, and now I think that's probably one of my strengths. But, yeah, I did it on my own riding race horses just because I felt like I was quite behind with the, my hours in the saddle. So I rode racehorses just so I had bum in the saddle, you know, got to know what it was like to ride all different types of horses. And riding racehorses can be really positive in that way. I think it can be detrimental because it changes your whole point of balance and it changes the way that you sit and feel on a horse. But what it's really super beneficial is that you sit on so many different types of horses. So your instincts of how to react to horses gets really quite good pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't anywhere else ride. 15 different horses in a morning and still be finished by 8.30. So yeah. that's where I think it's, it's incredibly beneficial to do that. So I did that for a few years and worked in bars and worked in cafes. And then, then eventually I sort of settled here at Cat Eye where I am now and um, started the business where I was coaching and, and training and riding other people's horses. And for a long time there, I was riding way too many courses and always exhausted and teaching as much as I could. And I love teaching. I love coaching. I've mentored a lot of young riders up to the top level, which I'm really proud of and I've really loved. And now I've had a little bit of a life change just recently. And it's all really due to COVID because obviously we couldn't teach and we couldn't coach and we couldn't compete. So financially I was sort of backed into a corner and my fiance had a a thorough, but still has a very successful. Pre-training, breaking, and spelling thoroughbred farm. So I was a little bit forced into just changing a little bit how I made my money. And so now I work really closely with him, and we've got a really successful business that I've been heavily involved in in the last two years, where we break in, spell, prepare horses for sales, and work with some of the best trainers in in Australia, which is pretty exciting. And after I do that, so I finish that about one p.m. and then I come home, and I really love riding my three beautiful horses that I've got. So. It's, it's a real change, very different. I've been doing the same thing for about 15 years and this is quite different, but I'm actually really enjoying it. We, um, we had a little while there where Hennick and I weren't quite sure if we were going to be able to work together because we are both extremely strong personalities and have had, you know, do, doing, managing our horses our own way for so long. So yeah. it was a few heads hit as we worked out who was right and who was wrong and who, how we could compromise. But I think we're doing it very successfully now and, and it's really exciting sort of time for me doing something different. It's, it's lovely to have a different challenge. It's very easy for you to get settled into doing the same thing for a long time and finding it very easy. And, and this I've found quite daunting and quite a challenge, but I'm, I'm loving that new challenge. So it's very cool. That's awesome.
0: That is a that is a big journey. So what does life look like for you right now with your three horses? What level are they at?
1: Yeah, sure. well, i've got I've got three really lovely horses. I'm very, very lucky. I've got uh, Oaks Cordelia, who I think most people would know. Anyone that knows me knows that mare. She's pretty special. I've had her since she was a four year old. and as I think very funny, I, I actually watched my round at Adelaide the other day. And Wendy Schaefer said something really cute on the commentary, which I never knew she said. And she actually said, you know, she knows this mare better than any of the husbands she's ever had, which I had to laugh at because I thought, <laughs> Wendy, you cheeky bugger. But um, very true. I mean, I've known Heidi longer than I've known most people. She's um, She was four when I got her and she's now actually 15. So we've had a really long journey together. And actually, funny little side note, which I don't know if most people know, but uh she i bought her from oak sport horses uh way back in when she was 4 and the funny story is is that Hennick, my now fiance was actually working for oak sport horses at the time he was fresh you know into australia uh, a backpacker working for alice camera riding you know her young horses and Alice sort of said, I don't think Alice particularly liked this mare at the time. I think she was very difficult, Heidi was, Mm. and Hennick was riding her. He loved her, but no one else really liked her. You know, I I remember Chris Chug saying she was awful. She jumped with no technique and she bucked a lot. And and even Hennick said as much as he loved her, she was so tricky. And one day he bought her a a beautiful thin line pad to put under her saddle, thinking that that would be really nice for her, and um, instead because you change something because Heidi's a very sensitive soul. If you change anything, she gets very upset. So he put this new pad on under the saddle and she just went to town and bucked him off really badly. So he pulled the pad out and got on and she was fine. (laughs) So... How dare you change um, things to be nice? Exactly, to me. change things. That's right. And then he went back to Germany to finish visit his family over Christmas time. And Alice, sort of through a, a friend of mine, said, "Oh, you know, come and look at this mare if you want to have a look at her." And I bought her while he was away. And he was devastated when he got back from Germany oh. that she'd sold the one horse he truly loved. And then, you know, as the story goes, we end up about to get married and, you know, she's still part of his life. So it's pretty pretty amazing how the world works. Oh, my gosh, I have goosebumps. I know. It's pretty funny. He now just looks at her and just, I'd never liked you anyway, but Heidi knows. (laughs) She knows. (laughs) She She loves it. Yeah. Uh,
0: You're actually, Heidi was my inspiration for my current young horse that I have because I happened to meet Alice Cameron At a jump lesson that I was at and I happened to say to her, I was like, oh, I love what you do with this place. I'm such a huge fan of Jade Finlay's horse. And it's always been a dream of mine to get an Oaks horse. And she said, oh, we have some for sale at the moment. And it was right at the end of the drought. And I went, oh no, no, I can't. I don't think I'm in a position. And all the stars happened to align and I've now got myself an Oaks sport horse. And I just think,
1: Oh my gosh, hopefully he'll be my Heidi because- Your Heidi, oh, how beautiful. That's such a lovely story. Thanks for sharing that. She look. She is a pretty special horse. I, I really, she's my heart horse, and she is pretty special. But by the look of it, I've seen some of the videos of your horse, and he looks pretty gorgeous too. So that's that's lovely. That that it, inspired you to buy him.
0: It it actually really did, and I'm not just saying that. And it was funny because he was actually a real ugly duckling as a two year old when I went looked at him, and yeah, everybody was like, know, he's ugly." You don't look at a horse when they're two. You look at you wait till they're three, and sure enough. The day he turned three, he just became
1: this beautiful thing and I just, ugh. So, yeah. Oh, that's divine. How gorgeous. I can't wait to see you out on there. His breeding is lovely and, and Alice does such a good job with them. So Amazing. Yeah. Oh, very cool. That's lovely. And you've got well, she, two others at the moment? I do. I mean, the, the goal with Heidi is that hopefully next year, we I we would really like to take her overseas and do, before she gets too old, and do uh, Lemoulin or do Bukalo or do something like that. Yeah, yeah. Arken would be the absolute dream. I'd love to ride at Arken, but we're just trying to fit that in. We're trying to get married over there at the same time. So we're trying to Work oh, all wow. of that out. You're like, yeah, I just want to campaign my horse. Yeah, sure, let's get married, maybe. <laughs> exactly. Hennick said, that can be your wedding present. We'll take her as well. I'm like, oh, perfect. So <laughs> that's that's sort of what we're planning. So fingers crossed everything aligns and we get to do that with her, which should be amazing. And then, yeah, I've got two younger mares that I actually am, I feel very lucky to have. One I bought last year from Stuart. Uh, her name is Wasabi Sushi. And she is a really beautiful horse. She's very similar to Heidi in the fact she's a really strong personality as well. And we've just, um, you know, we've been finding our way, trying to get to know each other. She's tested me every step of the way. But I feel like she finally likes me, which I think, you know, we competed a little bit in that time where we could. And I had the last show I did on her at Camden I just felt like we gelled and it was fantastic and I had the ride, I had the best fun riding her cross country. And now we've just spent this time getting to know each other on the flat and show jumping at home during COVID and hopefully we'll come out and, and do some pretty cool things this coming year because she's a lovely horse and I truly never thought I'd find a horse as good as Heidi cross country but Sushi is, she's awesome. so much fun cross country. She's That's awesome. That's so cool. That's so, so cool. I'm pretty excited about her. She's awesome. And then I've got another little horse that we imported from Germany uh, three years ago, and she is two-star. I did have, unfortunately, she had colic surgery at the end of last year. So oh. COVID's actually worked in her favour because it hasn't pushed me to rush her to get back out there. And But little Kim is her name, and she um, she's two-star, and because of um, her colic surgery, we I feel like the, the timing of COVID worked perfectly for her because she's now – Really, after 12 months, she feels fantastic again now. She felt a bit tight and a bit off and sometimes a bit not quite right for, for quite a long time there. And I was really worried that she wasn't going to be the same horse again. But amazingly, really in the last month, she feels absolutely brilliant again. So I'm very excited. She'll sort of pop out and go two-star and hopefully be three-star pretty quickly into the next year as well. So yep. that's very cool. And then I actually, I do have the fourth one, which I'm just starting to bring back into work. She actually is Leilani's one and only foal. So Leilani was my mare that went to the Olympics with Chris Burton and won Arkin and she was a very cool horse. She actually died last year at the ripe old age of 20, which was very sad. Yeah, I cried a lot. It was awful. But I do have one mare and she's a six-year-old and I just put her, she's just carried a foal all this last year. Um, and unfortunately we were very lucky to keep her alive we had a a sitting dog foal which is sort of the worst case scenario when you're having a foal in the fact that the foal's back legs are caught up under its chin so it's almost impossible to get the foal out Um, and normally well 100% of the time one dies and and quite often two of them die but I had was very very lucky where I had her and they did the most marvelous job of saving, saving her life so I've got her back here now and she's just come into work and I put her in foal because uh, Leilani was the same. They're very slow to mature. Lani didn't really do anything until she was about 10. And Kiki's now six. So I'm hoping now she's certainly got the talent and hopefully now she's got a bit more of a mature brain after that whole process. So she'll start coming in and then she'll be just doing the baby classes this year. So exciting. Yeah, it's very cool. Very cool. But it has been interesting. I've tried to keep my horses ticking along during COVID. But actually a really interesting thing that I really probably lost track of when you're trying to compete so much is I was riding them so much. I was riding them six days a week and really riding them. And often I'd be tired and sore and they'd be tired and sore and I'd be pushing through. And and since COVID hit, I've really cross-trained them a lot more. So they really only have done, I use the treadmill at the thoroughbred farm. I, I use the dry walker, I use a canter them on the gallop track and on the the grass track. I do flat work. I do lots of grid work. I haven't jumped big the whole time COVID's been on. It's just all been small sort sort of grid exercise stuff. Yeah. Um. I've hacked them, and you know what? They are going so much better because I just am not sitting on them every day drilling them. It's like they enjoy the cross training. Every time I get on them to ride them on the flat, they feel more relaxed. They feel happier to do the work. So it's been an interesting time for me. I think I really will continue to stay a little bit more on that path and not be riding them every day like I was, which is um, because, you know, I think that's, you forget that when you're always trying to make them better and make them better. But in fact, sometimes you've got to, give them time to process and you've also got to give you know the same if you only work on one thing all the time on yourself you know the other things lack or those muscles get tired or that your brain gets exhausted from doing the same thing yeah and um, I think that's been a really good lesson for me during this time to remember to do more different things with my horses and keep them yeah. fresh and happy.
0: That sounds like such a great way to look at what was such a you know, really horrible situation, not being able to see friends and family and good to find all the the joy in the small things and in the small wins too. So that's yeah, awesome. Absolutely.
1: It is. It's, yeah, it's a nice, it's exactly right. It's a really nice way of looking at it. It reminded me of, of so many things and not only with my horses, but in life, like you say, it reminded you to appreciate your friends and reminded you to appreciate, you know, the time that you have at home, and don't always be in such a rush to be on to the next thing. Yeah, and it also, um, you know, I've had the most amazing special time with my daughter over this this time in COVID because she's been an absolute superstar with her her homeschooling. Yeah, and I just think what an amazing time. I mean, you don't spend this much time with your kids ever. And to be able to do that when she is right in her prime of sort of maturing, I mean, she's 12 going on 20, you know, to have that so much time with my daughter and just helping her talk about things and understand things and spending so much time with her has just been so incredible. So I feel like COVID has been amazing and such a blessing in that way. So I think exactly like you said, you've got to take the good out of what we've just been through and not be desperate to rush back into doing, you know, getting into that fast pace and uh, craziness. Exactly.
0: Just on the note of having children and horses, and you were on this crazy journey going from nothing to four-star in two years. How did mum life affect you and your journey?
1: Uh, look, it's a good question. My, It did affect my journey quite a lot because Piper was a surprise, a lovely surprise, but it wasn't planned at the time. And in that part of my riding, I had Leilani, who was just cracking four star level. I had two other horses that were sort of two star level, ready to go three star. And I had a, a bunch of young horses. So I certainly wasn't thinking about having kids at the time. And, you know, I had this lovely surprise come along. And it was sort of at this, just this weird time where suddenly, finally, I had another really good four star horse, which I hadn't had since my first horse. Yeah. And I, I got to 20 weeks pregnant and just decided that, that was probably enough to be competing at a high level at that far along in my pregnancy. And um, at the time, it was re- actually really difficult on so many levels because there were the g- ladies who were a fair bit older than me and then there was me and then no one else had kids. So I was sort of the only one still riding at that level except actually Christine Bates and having a kid in Australia. Yeah. So it was really difficult because people kind of forgot that people ride when they're pregnant so I got a lot of pressure on me to not be riding and of course you know I'm not a stupid individual so I had a lot of advice from my doctors and obviously discussed it with my husband at the time and you know everybody agreed it was safe and it was fine but I did feel a lot of pressure from people not to be riding which I think is looking back on it I think it was a lot of stress put on me and I now I think people's attitudes about that have changed a lot and I think people now are letting people just make their own decisions on when they should and shouldn't be writing because essentially it is completely your decision yeah. and nobody ever is going to put their baby or themselves in a position where they're going to injure either themselves or their baby it's just not in a mother to do that
0: yeah and it's like saying don't drive a car the whole time you're pregnant because you could be in a car accident you know yeah if if you trust your horse and you know your horse the only way you would have issue with your pregnancy or something like if you were to have an accident it would be that an accident it's not like you'd it go, would, oh, yeah. I'm going to start, I'm going to keep riding breakers <laughs> during my pregnancy. No,
1: that's so. right. I mean, you, you reduce the risks, of course, to as low as you possibly can and only ride the ones that you want to. But at the end of the day, my kind of point is I think that people have got a lot better in, in our sport in Australia and letting people make their own decisions when it comes yeah. to pregnancy and riding, which I really think is is great because when you're riding, you, you already have a lot of stress and then you're already worried about the baby. And then if you're getting external stress as well, I just think that's when it becomes not a good place to be. But I think now, I mean, all the girls that have had babies recently, I mean, Megan Jones, Katie Taliana, Emma Mason, they're all now riding, you know, were riding very quickly after and did ride quite a long way into their pregnancy and Rachel Lee. And they've all, um, I think, supported each other and, and have great friendships with their children and their process getting back to riding, which, I think is wonderful and I think that's how it should be. So I mean that was one part of it at all. No, and the second part of it was that I obviously had to give up my horse that I had at that level because it just didn't make sense for her at her age because she started quite late to be sitting there and waiting for me to get back on the horse. So Chris Burton was my show jump coach at the at the time and Leilani's worst phase was her show jumping. So it made sense for him to ride her and he did and he did a tremendous job. Like he did I, I never claimed to think that I could do the job that he did on her and get the results he got on her. But that was certainly a bittersweet experience for me, you know, watching someone else do what I'd always dreamed of doing on my yeah. horse and trying to be okay with that. And a lot of the time I wasn't really okay with that, but I was still on this amazing journey and trying to enjoy every minute of of that process because, I mean, how often do people get to follow their horse around the world to Olympic Games and World Championships and winning? Arkin, you know? so that again was a very big mental challenge, I think, trying to come to grips with not feeling bad or being okay with feeling bad. I don't know which way you'd describe it best, but it was really tough, really tough. And then um I, I had postnatal depression quite badly, I think for for all of those reasons and many more. So that was really difficult, and anybody that's gone through that, it's really crippling and really horrible. But you know obviously, you find your way out of it with a lot of help and support. And and I think my riding certainly helped so much uh, with that because, of course, when you ride, you have to be in the moment. And when you yeah. ride, it's like a little escape. You know, you get away from everything else and you just focus entirely on that. So I think it's really good for your mental health to be riding. I, I think a lot of people find riding so beneficial for their mental health. And, I yeah, I absolutely did through my postnatal depression and I think that's something that's helped me many times in my life when i've i've not been 100% or feeling you know yeah. how people think you should feel so yeah it was it was a really really tough journey but i mean obviously i wouldn't change a thing my daughter is now my absolute world yeah and i adore her and she's the most beautiful wonderful girl so yeah this um, is this is the-
0: my hope for when I eventually have children. Is as much as people are like, I oh, don't have children, don't have kids. They're the worst. But they're the Just best don't thing in my four. whole life. Just
1: don't have four. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> don't have four. I laugh Poor Nikki Rose. She's got four children. I don't know how she does it. But she's a superwoman. One, she is. She, you need to talk to her. I'd like to listen to that. How she actually? Yes. It, Sure. I would yeah, that love would be that thing because I don't know how she copes. And then she I comes really back to riding at
0: the, like top levels of the sport. She's I know. She's amazing. I know. Oh, that is such it's a great incredible. idea.
1: Definitely get her on. I'd love to listen to how she does it. Um I think sometimes she just pretends it's not happening. But anyway, <laughs> you better ask her ask her in your next podcast. I'd love to listen. So
0: how was um, your journey so from actually having a child to then getting back on a horse? How did you feel in your body, in your, like, were you
1: nervous? Was there fear involved? Look, I think at the time when I got back on after pregnancy, I was so determined to get back on and I just, that was such a driving force that there was no question I was going to do it and I actually wasn't really nervous. It was almost like the pregnancy was a bit of a, an annoyance in the fact that I couldn't ride and now, yeah. thank God, I can finally ride again. Didn't feel... um bad in my body and I didn't really feel bad in my head. It almost made me feel better to get back on the You're horse. You're like, not finally. Work. Yeah, I really did. But I mean, I don't think any mother could ever tell you that it, it doesn't change you mentally in the fact. I actually, I've, I've said this to, to Sam Squires when, when I did a podcast with her. Weirdly, because being a mum and and we talk about this on the high performance squad all the time males included to do the sport at the level we do it at you or you really have to be selfish is what we call it now everyone in high performance who's trying to support us says it's not selfish it's just you actually doing what you do and trying to do it to the best of your ability but being human we all say it's being selfish you know ours is it's an individual sport there's only a couple of times that you're in a team when you do this yeah. uh, it's very time consuming it's very all consuming in every way i mean if you're a horse person we do mad things you know we're out for crazy hours we're away on weekends we're obsessed with our horses so that's why we call it selfish yeah. so my attitude was if i'm going to continue doing this and if I'm going to allow myself to be this selfish, I better do a bloody good job of it. Yes, because I love that. Otherwise, go home and looking, look after your kid and stop feeling sorry for yourself and questioning it. But if you're going to take time away from your family and your child to go and ride, well, ride at the top level and don't make mistakes and try your best and, you know. Well, make sure you're make at least work. loving it while you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Make it worth it. Make it count. Don't be doing it half-assed, making excuses, because then you are being selfish, you know, if you're not doing it with your whole heart.
0: Yeah, because I know so many mums feel guilty while they're at the horses, but what's the point? You're already there.
1: Anyway, be there. Be there 100%, put in 100%, and then it will be doing for you what you need it to do. If you're there half doing it, feeling guilty, watching your clock, watching your phone, it won't do what you need it to do, and you are being selfish. So, That's sort of how I explained it to myself um, and how I allowed myself to get back on and focus enough to ride at the top level so quickly. I just said, if you're going to do it, do it properly. Very similarly to when um, I had a very nasty fall horse um, rotated and and landed on me and I was in ICU for six days. It was not very nice really. And then the first comp I went to, I got back on straight away, four-star, straight out, first start. Wow. And everyone was saying to me, you can't do that. My God, just ease yourself up. Make sure you're feeling okay mentally. Make sure. And I was like, no. If I can't do it, I will pull up. Like I will stop mid course and walk home. But if I can't do it, then I'm not going to build up to it. You have to be in the place and be able to switch on 100% the minute you walk out there. And if I can't do that, I shouldn't be doing it anymore. So I went out and I rode four-star and I had a great round and I never looked back. So I think it's that's sort of how I deal with that sort of thing. You know, same as getting on after a baby, same as getting back on after a fall. If you're going to do it, do it 100% or don't bother.
0: Yeah. You are so involved with coaching and your students absolutely thrive with you as their coach. I've watched so many of them just have heaps of successes and bad days and things like that. But what what advice do you find that you constantly keep giving students when they run into hurdles and setbacks and things like that? Do you find that there's a common theme
1: that you stick along that path to help them forward? Look, horse riding is a really funny sport. What we're actually physically doing is not that difficult. I think I've had this conversation with you in a, in a lesson before. It's it's actually not the physicality of our sport that is the difficult part. It's the mental part. And I think that really ties into what I was just saying to you about me saying to myself, if, I'm, if I can't do it at the top level or if I can't just get back on and do it, don't bother doing it. You're going to hit hurdles but and they're all going to be in your head, all of them, when it comes to horse riding. So you have to work out ways and I'm not saying they just naturally go away or that I have a different brain or that Stuart Tinney has a different brain to us. No one does. You just, you have to actually train your brain to be able to let yourself do these things, to let yourself face fear, be okay with the fear and then work with that fear to get better because no one ever gets better working in the place where they're comfortable. You only get better and progress when you're in that uncomfortable place. So. When I coach, it's all about putting someone in that uncomfortable place, but letting them know that it's okay being there and it's perfectly acceptable to be scared and it's perfectly acceptable to feel like you can't do it. But you've got to get your brain to say, I'm there, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm still going to do it because that's the only way you improve. So all of my coaching is based around that ideology and pushing people into that space, obviously in a safe way. But if you're not willing to go there, you're never going to get any better.
0: Yes, I love that. That is amazing. So what has coaching others taught you? How do you feel like it's played back into your own journey?
1: Coaching is wonderful. I mean, it's, it's so good in that way that it reminds me to try and, you know, live my life around that rule. But it's also uh, on a more basic level, it just reminds you of your training structure and of how you want to ride and how you do ride. And I think coaching really, it cements your ideas in your head and your systems in your head. And that always, you know, I often, when I'm riding, will hear myself coaching myself. Otherwise, you just go off on tangents. So it's really good to coach yourself and and keep your structure. So the more you say it when you're coaching, I think the more it strengthens those ideas in your brain. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's so cool. Before we
0: sort of start wrapping things up, I just want to ask in terms of your own goals, what are like your biggest out there crazy goals that you might have, I don't know, sitting in there tucked away? Because I just find that so many people don't even want to say like, oh, you know, because let's face it, every rider that you have goes, oh my gosh, I'd love to go to the Olympics, but they Mm -hmm. can't even say it to themselves. Like, So do you have any crazy out there goals that you're got waiting there to sort of get to or?
1: Oh, look, a hundred percent. I think I I absolutely would love to ride at a world championships or Olympic games. That is a hundred percent in my vision. I mean, that's why I've got some younger horses now to back up Heidi's results that I've had on her and hopefully do great things with, with them. I'm, you know, well aware that Sometimes the timing of getting all of that right for an Olympic Games or a World Championships is so incredibly hard um, that I don't want to set myself that as my ultimate goal because I think that then, you know, I don't want to set myself up for heartbreak, but I certainly am going to do everything in my power to set myself up for selection Um, in the fact, you know, I said I was hoping to travel next year with Heidi overseas, but I think my personal goals are to to ride overseas with her around some big four stars because uh, I really feel like that would be the completion of my dream and my goal to be able to do that. You know, riding in Australia is so wonderful and I would never move overseas permanently, but I definitely want to do that. I think that that's something that because I started there or way back with Chris Bartle and I saw all those big shows and just thought, oh, my God, this is like fairyland, I love this world. Yeah. To now go back and be able to ride at one of those or a couple of those big shows would sort of make the circle complete. So that's my personal goal. Yeah. And then, of course, we've got huge goals with the thoroughbred Business, we, um, you know, are striving to be the best sort of people and and really make people a little more aware in the industry of our philosophy with horses and making horses happier and stronger and better because you manage them better and treat them better, and therefore I'm hoping that that will kind of feed through by example into the thoroughbred industry. I mean, there's a lot of wonderful people in that industry, but there's still a lot of people that are very backward, and we hope that we can kind of lead by example and and change that a little bit or at least inspire or at least show that we can do it a different way by, by yeah. keeping the horses happier and better. Yeah. So that's sort of my major goals. That's awesome.
0: Okay, well, to wrap it up, I love going through a bit of a quick-fire question and answer, so I hope that you're ready. Okay. Here we go. All right, so what is your favourite and your least favourite thing about life with
1: horses? Favourite thing being in the moment and just the beautiful animal that they are least favorite the fact that I have a PhD in picking up poo by now (laughs) what isn't that your favorite part um no (laughs) all right so
0: what is your favorite hobby outside of horses or do you even have Uh, one because most people have
1: answered oh I don't know (laughs) no I don't have a lot of hobbies outside horses but I do love skiing and I do love the beach Beautiful.
0: All right. What is one thing you can't
1: live without? I uh, oh look, I can't live without my Heidi, my Oaks Cordelia. I love her. And I can't live without my glass of wine at the end of the day, I'm afraid.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. All right. And what is your favorite riding memory or achievement?
1: Oh, gosh, that's hard. I think look, the the classic thing to say is when I won Melbourne, that was pretty special. Yeah, it just felt so fantastic to win. So I'm trying to do that again. And Probably favourite riding memory was, was my first day riding with Chris Bartle when he asked me if I could ride and I said yes and he put me on a horse and laughed at me and said, you can't ride. Oh, and no. And I was like,
0: oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> so if you can go back
1: and give your younger self a piece of advice, what would that be? Just keep doing it. Keep doing it and don't get disheartened when things go wrong, things are always going to go wrong and just keep getting back on the horse and keep trying because if you put the hard work in, it does pay off. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Okay. And if I could ask anyone that you know, that's super inspiring that people are just going to get heaps out
1: of to come on as a guest on the show next, who would that be? Well, I think you need to get Nikki, Rose's, Nikki Rose on there. I think she'd be fantastic talking about how to juggle motherhood, craziness, Shane Rose, and riding at top level. She would be amazing. Yeah. So, yeah, she's my pick. Yeah. Okay.
0: I love that. I'm actually really excited for that. And I can hopefully even do a live one because she's not far away from me. I actually saw her in Horseland today. She was there getting oh, helmets cool. for the kids. So- oh, I love it. And we're online, so if people want to find you and follow your journey even more because it's awesome and so much fun to follow. I'm not going to lie, I'm a bit of a stalker with the top athletes. I'm like, oh, what, what competitions are we at to at the moment? So where online can people find you? Uh,
1: look, uh, Findlay Equestrian and Jade Findlay have a Facebook page and then Hanover Lodge has a website. Hanover Lodges and Thoroughbred Farm has a website and a Facebook page. So jump on and have a look at what we're doing. Awesome. And any sponsors that you'd like to mention? I've had some really amazing, loyal sponsors. I've been very, very lucky with my sponsors over the years. Uh, Tony from Brighton Saddlery has been uh, my longest standing and most lovely sponsor. Um, I have the most amazing sponsor from America who actually Emma Klugman, who is on the uh, Australian Next Gen squad, who came over here and did some work experience with me. She hooks me up with this wonderful lady called Teal Shoop, and she has these amazing cleaning products. So jump on my Facebook, you'll be able to see all about them. It's Leather Cleaning and they are brilliant. And then I have also had amazing support from Joint Performance over the years, uh, from Poseidon, who do the digestive EQ. So really amazing sponsors, but really amazing people more than just sponsors. I I appreciate the support more than their products. So big thanks to all of them. Oh, that's
0: awesome. So are there any last words of wisdom that you'd like to add or anything that we haven't sort of gone over that you wanted to talk about or impart wisdom to
1: us? Oh, I think you've done an amazing job. You've asked all the hard questions. So I think um, I don't really have anything else to add other than, guys, be safe as you go back out eventing. Be sensible with what you choose to go and compete at. Um, I know everyone's super excited, but stay sensible, stay safe, and I can't wait to see everybody out there eventing again at the end of this year and next. Thank you so much for
0: coming on today. You have been amazing, and I can't wait to share this with everybody because I think... They are going to get so much out of it. I mean, I've had goosebumps about 10 times and just
1: thank you. No, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. You're very easy to talk to.
0: What an amazing episode was that with Jade. She just imparts so much wisdom and What a cool journey that we got to hear about and learn about today. So if you have been lacking motivation lately and you've just been looking for inspiration, I hope that today just brought that for you because I know that I feel so inspired after talking with Jade. She is just one cool lady and I'm so grateful that she came on today. So if you loved anything that you heard on this episode, please make sure that you hit subscribe. And if you're an Apple podcast, please just take 30 seconds of your time to leave a rating and review so that people can find us more organically and we can share this amazing episode with so many more people. Thank you again, guys, for listening. And thank you for coming back week after week and for all your support. And also, guys, if you have Instagram, make sure you share it and you tag me in it at The Approachable Equestrian. I share everyone's tags, so I'd love to see you there. Join us on Instagram. Can't wait to see you for the next episode. Today's episode was proudly brought to you by Hara Equine. Hara Equine is an equestrian events business who provides regular clinics and training days around the Sydney area. If you're looking for events to go to, you can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Their handle is at equine, which is spelt H-A-R-A equine, or their website, www.haraequine.com. Thank you so much for listening in today, guys. It was honestly a privilege to have you here. If you loved anything that you heard and got something out of it, please remember to hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Also, if you could, we would be so grateful if you could leave a a rating and a review um, just so people can find us more organically and we can reach more people like you who want to work on their mindset, hear awesome stories to keep themselves inspired and also work on their motivation. So thanks heaps guys. Have the greatest day. I'll see you all again soon.